Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. Injured at work in a motor vehicle accident or had a fall in a public space? Speak to Your Claim Lawyers, a no-win, no-fee, personal injury claims law firm that specialises in maximising compensation claims for injured people. Call 1-800-YOUR-CLAIM or yourclaimlawyers.com.au. This is your Sporting Life with Peter Donegan. And what a pleasure it is to have your company for another edition of This Is Your Sporting Life for Tobin Brothers Funerals Celebrating Lives. Today we celebrate the life of a man who played 234 games of football at the top level, a premiership player, captain of his club, he's a member of the Hall of Fame. His name is Barry Rollings and it's a pleasure for me to have him in the studio. Baz, good to see you. Thanks Pete, it's good to be here. You're looking well. Yeah, not too bad for an old fellow, Pete. Uh, still running uh, probably four or five days a week and uh, trying to keep the legs moving, especially when you finish playing and uh, being so fit f- through your football career, you like to keep doing something when you you know finish your football career anyway. Have you got any other sporting pursuits? Do you get out on the golf course or what do you do to keep yourself occupied? No, I still do um, director of football. I had a football at Caulfield Grammar School, so I'll get out and have a kick with the boys from year 7 to year 12 uh, these days. Uh, Pete, but no, if you ever see me out in a golf course, Pete, you, you'll see why I don't, I don't play golf. <laughs> I think we're all the same, Baz. I think we're all the same. Have you still got the devastating left foot when you get out there and have a kick with the boys? Well, I don't know about devastating, but I still uh, I still uh, kick uh, not over a long distance, but over a short distance, I'm not, still not too bad. What is it about left footers, Baz? Because I've looked at so many players over the years with um, a left foot kick who seem to have those beautiful skills that not a lot of right footers seem to have. No, I suppose um, we've got over, uh, <clears throat> over the years, you get away with it so for a long time anyway. I know I got it over for so many years till I came down to uh, Richmond when I went left Hawthorne and went to Richmond in, uh, when I was about 28 years of age and uh, I never really kicked on my right foot till I got to Richmond and uh, Sheedy made us kick on a non-preferred side I think in uh, while we won the premiership in 1980 because uh, it was on the non-preferred preferred every night in uh, 1979 during our pre-season 1980 and um, that's why you know had the chance to kick it on my preferred foot. But, yeah, we used to kick I used to do a number of times on my uh, left foot when I was a youngster. And, uh, I don't know, just perfected it a lot better. But I don't know the reason why left footers look a, you know, look a lot better. How did, how did you go with your right side? Were you okay on the right side? Because a lot of left-sided players, as good as they are, are very one-sided. Yeah, um, I get out. Of, I got out of trouble with it. No worries. But uh, I remember a boy at uh, played at Hawthorne, Leon Rice. Rice he broke he broke his left foot, and he used to uh, just kick on his uh, on his right right foot, practicing on his right foot. And in the finish, you you couldn't really pick which foot was Rice's preferred foot because. Uh, 
when he had his broken leg on his left, he was a natural left footer, but uh, yeah, you couldn't pick which is his natural uh, kicking leg because he just uh, he had to practice on his right foot when his left was broken. But uh, yeah, now I used to practice on my left all the time. Never really, you know, practice used to kick on me right, but uh, just mainly trying to get out of trouble and. Uh, Kept uh, kept on the left foot all the time. Do you think that's a skill when you watch football today? Do you think that's a skill that um, probably hasn't been taught as much? That uh, there do seem to be a lot of one-sided players. As good as they are, their aerobic fitness is really good. But are they as skilled on both sides of their body as some of the players, say, from your era or a bit beyond that? No, I don't believe they are, Pete, because uh, you see them coming around the boundary line now. What do they do? The check side kick. Yeah. And uh, I believe it's a lot of the junior kids, whether it's coming from the junior level or the TAC Cup or whatever, it's just not enough uh, skill work being uh, implemented in their program, I don't believe. Speaking of Caulfield Grammar, Baz, you've had some fairly famous names go through. Who are some of the, the young fellas you've seen coming up through the ranks and have been tutored by yourself who've gone on to big things? Well, number one, when I first uh, got the role there was a, he was uh, when my young bloke Jay went through school with him was uh, at the year seven level. My first year was uh, the, the Chris Judd. Could play a bit, yeah. <laughs> Could play a little bit. At yeah. year seven level, you probably I told a few recruiting blokes you better put his name down straight away. I didn't have to tell them; they could just see he was a he was very good, Juddy, and great attitude. And uh, another boy was uh, probably the Callaways were there before myself, and the, that's why we call the Callaway Club because we had another boy, a Callaway Lockie Callaway was the brother of Andy and uh, Duncan. He he played a fair few games with Collingwood Reserves and uh, uh, Lockie won a Morecambe medal, which is our best and fairest at Caulfield Grammar School, and he won a best and fairest in year 10, uh, year 11 and year 12. He was a very good player. Ball magnet Lockie wasn't real quick, but just a real ball magnet. Never got uh, drafted or went on and played league football, but he was a very good player for Caulfield Grammar School. Uh, Dylan Shield was another GWS. Mm-hmm. Uh, Dave Ashby at Richmond now, doing very well. Uh, Mark Chaffee played a few few games for Richmond. Uh, BJ, Brennan Goddard. So, uh, just to name a few, you got a, a boy probably with injury, could have went on and played with uh, one of your uh, workmates is uh, Jono, Jono Nash. He yes. had heaps of potential. He was a great player. At our, Don't say that. But not, not say that, do you he's think? He's sitting on the other is side he? of the glass oh, well, now, I, and I can see that. his head increasing as you say it. <laughs> he's my producer, by the way, just to let everyone know. Thomas Bug, Buggy was another one at, at our school. He was a very very good player at our at our school. Another one really was doing really at the moment is Jack Zebel. Uh, Jack was a just great uh, a border too, border at uh, Caulfield Grammar. Um, he was, and got another young boy out of Hawthorne at the moment named Dylan Moore. Dylan Moore is a elite runner, and um, when this year uh, I think the top draft choice boy boy Rayner clocked about an eight minute for a couple of k time trial, and Dylan probably did in a six forty. Wow! So, so he's a pretty of a elite runner. Yeah. So there's a variation of skill level that you've mentioned in all of those people. Uh, you go from a Chris Judd to a, a Mark Chaffee, with mm. all due respect to Mark. Yes. He doesn't have the natural ability or didn't no. have the natural ability. Are you prouder of the guys who have got all of that God-given talent, like a Judd, or do you like to see the guys who squeeze every last drop out of the lemon, like Mark Chaffee? Oh, yeah. I, I'm, the boys have really worked really hard. I've... Um 
I take my hat off to them, you know, like Juddy Ridge had a natural ability, but to the boys that uh, really work hard, and I say to them, Pete, like a lot of them have the natural ability, but a lot of boys, like the, I didn't play league football till I was 24 years of age, and like I didn't have a natural ability, I had to work really hard too, and I say to the boys, don't just, if you, a lot of boys attack cup competition, probably give it away after 1920, they get a bit despondent and don't believe they are are up to it or don't get the encouragement from people to say, oh, let's go on and let's work a little bit harder. You just never know. You go back and play it. If you miss out on the draft, don't go back and just play or go back in the, the country and play for a bit of, bit of money. Go back and play at the highest level and just keep working hard with your fitness or your lacking fitness or your endurance, school level. Go back and work on your weaknesses. There's no question about the fact that the young talent can make the transition from being a very good underage player to league football, but it might take a couple of years. Whereas when you were playing, the system was different because you had the under-19s and then you could step up to reserve level where you were playing against the men. And that seems to stand players in good stead when you've got the opportunity of playing against men and then taking the next step up. Oh, for sure. Well, when I played, when I finished playing um, junior level up in the uh, Latrobe Valley League, I went on and played uh, uh, against men. Like I played probably when I was 15, played um, in the Mid-Gippsland League for Thorpedale up there, and uh, I played against um, yeah, bigger bodies. I was probably uh, only about or oh, five, five, eight, five, nine, and probably about 60, 65, ring and wet, I suppose. And uh, played on bigger bodies, and I got the opportunity to play for Moeen Latrobe Valley League and uh, played with them and uh, come down and played played with Hawthorne six reserve matches then and went back to the bush because they weren't real interested at that stage when I was 17 and 18. And uh, But, uh, yeah, it gave me more confidence playing against the bigger bodies. And, um, yeah, just grew from there and after that. So when that happened, when you come down, you play some reserve uh, games and mm. they say, oh, well, no, we, we don't think you're quite going to cut it. Did you think at that stage, oh, well, that's me done for the big time? No, not really. I just went back and uh, um, probably... Got a bit of feedback from people around the club, and I got a, a very good coach up in Murray in the Trove Valley League, and uh, he was a bit of a fitness fr- uh, freak, and uh, he Ron Happily, he was named. He played a few games for Essendon, and he was our coach. He's a real fitness freak, <clears throat> so I got really fit, and uh, we wouldn't believe it, Pete. Uh, we played in uh, 72, 73, 74 in grand finals in Moe in the Trove Valley League, and we got beaten in every one of them. Yeah. And on the in 74, Ron was good friends with Tommy Hafey, and uh, we played um, we played in the grand final against, I think it was Sale that day, and we got, got beaten. And Tommy took us for train on the Thursday night before we played Sale and got beaten. And Tommy, I got a letter in the mail on the Monday after our grand final, he said, would you like to come down and train with Richmond to lead up to 74 um, final series? So every thir- Tuesday, Thursday night, I went down and trained with Richmond at uh, Punt Road. And um, after training with them, and go- they gave me tickets to the grand final. They said w- they won the grand final in Richmond. And they said, would you like to do pre-season with us in 70, um, 78, 79? And which I did. And they said... We would put a clearance. Swabby said we would put a clearance to get you across from Hawthorne because I was still in Hawthorne's area. And John Kendy said we'd like to see you play in one practice match before we clear you. The two zones up in the Trove Valley were Footscray and Hawthorne. So they had a, a match up there and they said we'll play in, on the wing against Footscray at Morwell. 
I played on the wing, got a few kicks, and I come off the ground and said, if you want to play league football, you're playing with us. So the, my first first game, I had to play with... So every Tuesday, Thursday for three years, I travelled down on every Tuesday, Thursday night, the training with Hawthorne. So my first... Uh, I played the first six, first six in the reserves for Hawthorne. My first game was at Princess Park against Fitzroy. A boy named Shepherd had played for Fitzroy on the wing. I played for Hawthorne. That was Crimo's. We came off the ground that I played on the wing. We came off the game, off the ground that game, and they told John Kennedy said that'd be Crimo's last game for the. Till he found out how when he had the testicle cancer, he was going in for treatment. And uh, when Crimo didn't play for the rest of the, that year. I was uh, second rover to Lethal, so uh, and we or well, Crimo got fit pro um, the lead up to that uh, final series too, but never got put into the grand final in '75. Mm. We'll talk more about Peter Crimmins and the story surrounding him, but almost without exception, Baz, when I talk to great players of days gone by, their first appearance in the change rooms is something that is so surreal and so daunting for them and you walked into a team there that had some of the biggest names in footy what was that experience like for a young fella yeah to play in the first in the six uh in the reserves and i used to sit up in the stand watching these uh don scotts and peter mm. knights and uh yeah leon rice lee matthews kelvin matthews is is pretty daunting and when you think you you know you're trying your hardest uh, in the reserves to get into the senior side, and it would have been fantastic to be playing with these side. And after yes, five games and got put in the sixth game, it was uh, it was pretty uh, you know. And with John Kennedy being the coach too, when you go in the rooms, when I got my first game, the old uh, Kanga speaking. When Kanga didn't wasn't a soft talk, eh? no. as you know, and uh, the hairs stand up in the back of your necks when Kanga says something. It was it was pretty unreal. Yeah, well, Yabby's voice used to reverberate around those change rooms in Glenferry Oval, but I think you took it up another few decibels, and that was what John Kennedy used to be like. And when he spoke, you listened. Exactly right. I mean, Kanga used to... We didn't didn't really need a run of those days. It was Kanga used to stand up on the <laughs> the shed over on Glenferry Road. That's and, right. Uh, we didn't have to do a lot of schoolwork those days. I tell the boys at Caulfield Grammar School, we used to have one-on-two, two-on-three, three-on-four, and... Kanga said, "That's the way we. That's the way we play. That's the way we'll train." And until uh, Dave came along, Dave Park, we used to had, had a little bit of school work in, but uh, with Kanga, which is a lot of competitive work uh, all the time. Some great memories of some days gone by. We'll take a break, Baz. When we come back, I'll talk about that uh, famous story about the late, great Peter Crimmins and your association with him, and then we'll move on to your very successful time at the Tigers as well. Barry Rowlings is my special guest on This Is Your Sporting Life for Tobin Brothers Funeral Celebrating Lives. More with Baz after the break. Listening to This Is Your Sporting Life with Peter Donigan. And what a privilege it is to have Barry Rowlings as my special guest on This Is Your Sporting Life for Tobin Brothers Funeral Celebrating Lives. Baz, you mentioned the late Peter Crimmins. You had a, a very close association with him. I think you actually were living in his house at one stage. That's right, Pete. After in '75, when um, he diagnosed with uh, testicle cancer, um, the lead up to this '75 uh, uh, grand final, Rhonda and I came down and uh, stopped with Pete. Uh, I worked up in Gippsland, and uh, the club said we'd like to 
you know, make sure you were well prepared for the 75 grand final. So would you like to come and stop? And Pete and Gwen Crimmins offered their house to us. So Rhonda and I stayed with them for that week. And Pete, and I went in with him with training because uh, he was working at Puma and... Uh, um, I used to go into the club early and come home with him and so forth. But uh, the night, uh, he, the selection on the Thursday night, he came home and he played a few couple of games in the seconds and came through really, really well. And uh, on the Thursday night, I came home early because he was on the selection committee. He came home that night after selection and, uh, yeah, very, very disappointed. We thought he would, um, would be picked um, because um, everyone was... All the team, I'm pretty sure all the the, the boys thought if Pete played, we we would have would have won the game. And I still think a lot of the boys would say today we would have won the game. I know we got beaten pretty heavily in the finish, but I believe we would have won the game just if he even was on the bench. He was just that sort of bloke to have around the club that would have lifted the club. Even if Pete would half fit or even got half a run, he would have been uh, inspirational around the bo- around the boys. And uh, he came home and he was very disappointed. So Rhonda and I end up going and stopped with Brian and Jenny Doog on, um, after that when Pete come home because he was just very, very upset. And we, we went to the game on the Saturday and as you know, we got beaten on mm-hmm. the day. And uh, so then the following year when uh, he got really, really sick and uh, we we were you know, played off in the grand final and ended up winning winning the grand final and he got really, really sick and uh, we all, well, six about, so I think the, the picture showed when Bernie Jones, John Henry, Knightsy, myself and um, Doogie Marty all went back and he was waiting up at two o'clock in the morning giving us a bit of cheek and so forth and uh, took the cup back and uh, he died on the Tuesday. Mm. But he was just, yeah, he was just a real... Insp- cheeky little bloke till the day he passed away and uh but just uh loved the the hawks the hawks hawthorne football club he was a he was a inspirational little bloke on the field but he he gave his cheek too while he was on the field but uh great little player great little bloke to play with he wrote you a message i think as the team he, he wrote a message didn't he before that grand final which obviously inspired you yeah, and that's believe. Like if he played on that on seventy five, like that's just having him on the field. But even his message just gave everyone a lift. That, yeah. uh, to do really well on the day and um, put everything into it, which got us over the line. Yeah. Was there a danger that he wasn't going to make it to grand final night? Was, was that the thinking that he was just hanging in there and hanging on to see what happened? I think it was. Yeah, I believe it was. And I, he was that tenacious little bloke. He was. He was hanging on all right and uh he knew that uh he knew that we will we uh put everything in it to win for him and uh well he hang on to two or three extra days for us anyway must have been a remarkable atmosphere in that room that night because here you are you're the premiership team and you're with your teammates and the elation that goes along with that but there's also the devastation of knowing what was just around the corner Oh yeah, it's uh, unbelievable when you got one of your one of your best mates and uh, uh, thriving is you know to keep alive and then to say what he's been through in the twelve months of it, you know what I mean, from seventy five to right through to seventy six, it's a it's a long battle, a long battle what he's had and uh, just to stick at it, what he did and what he came through is it's pretty awesome what he did. A lot of people talk about football clubs and the things that go wrong at football clubs, but when something like this happens. Football clubs become very important in the lives of people and it brings everybody together. It kind of galvanises the group and I'm sure that that's what happened with you and Crimo. 
Oh, that's right, exactly right. All the boys were so close to him, and uh, as you say, it's just as you say, it's, it's just it's just like an like an erudite, you know what I mean? Like yeah. it's just it's everyone just sticks together and works together, and uh, yeah, football clubs are just amazing, you know what I mean? Like little things happen, but they just all stick together, and and junior clubs you hear junior clubs little things that happen, but they all football clubs it's all pitching and help, and uh, they're just amazing the way they work together and help each other. What was the emotion, Baz, when he passed away? Was it relief in some ways? Because I think we've all been touched by cancer at various yeah, times. Sure. And yeah. sometimes you kind of wish that they go because of what they're going through, because of the suffering. Was there Obviously, there's a sense of sadness, but was there also kind of a sense of relief that he didn't have to suffer anymore? Oh, exactly right. Yeah, you hate seeing people like that. What, as I said, he suffered for uh, 12, mu- 12 months, and you hate to see him suffer anymore. It is a bit of relief for him, and just hopefully he went quietly and uh, and didn't have to suffer anymore. I'm sure there are people listening to this right now who have been through that in their own lives and would be able to identify with what you're saying. So the Hawthorne era was a productive one you reached the air at the top of the mountain so how did you finish up crossing over to Richmond you told part of the story before <clears throat> how did it all come about and who was the driving force behind getting you to Richmond yeah well uh, um, I did a knee, knee in I missed the 78 premiership side with Hawthorne Pete I did a knee in July uh, in um, 78 anyway um, they put in the cask in July to see if it come right and um, they took it out of the cask in uh, just uh, early August, and I played a, a game in uh, in the reserves. And I had about eight touches in about oh, two minutes. I said, "How good's this? The knee's great, the knee's great." But all of a sudden, I, I someone handballed it to me. And I went to handball again. She just folded underneath me, mm. and I knew something was something was wrong. So I ended up going to John Bartlett, who did the operation. Yeah. The day one did Dakes. Dakes operation too, and I had a 75% knee reconstruction. Anyway, I um, got it done, and John Barler did a great job, and uh, um, he said, uh, you know, you're not allowed to run on roads anymore and so forth, and I said, oh, God, how, how good is I was 28 years of age, and I thought, well, I can't just run on grass all the time. Anyway, I did all the pre-season and so forth and did practice matches against Tucky and so forth and uh, was doing really well and played the first four games in the reserves, doing really well, getting me plenty of touches. Anyway, we played on a on a, um, a Saturday and in the reserves and we trained on the Monday night because the seniors played on the Sunday. Anyway, we're what uh, Ian Wilson was watching training. We was wondering who he was watching. It was Peter Welsh, John Hendry, myself, playing in the reserves. Anyway, after the game, I got the old uh, come come and see me with Dave Parkin. So I've gone into the selection room, and there's uh, Ken Herbert, Dave Parkin, John Williams. There's about five or six selectors in there, and uh, Ken Herbert's the one more or less said we've got enough small. Uh, Rovers, John uh, Peter Russo, Terry Wallace, and so forth. We've got enough small Rovers here. We believe you only got 12 months left in your knee, and we're going to sell you off to Richmond. This is on the Monday night. Anyway, I'm coming, going to uh, training on the Tuesday to Hawthorne. I see in the Herald Sun, you know how they used to sell Herald Suns at the lights. Yes. Barry Rollins sold to Richmond thirty-five thousand dollars. I said, Oh God, they're getting a pretty good. Price thirty five thousand bucks. I'm getting not a bad price. So I actually off I go to Richmond. I'm driving straight to Richmond. So uh, go to Richmond and uh, TJ, you meet TJ, yeah. and um, 
Ian Wilson was there too because Octa was there. Octa said he had a few uh, red wines with uh, Phil Phil uh, Ryan and um, TJ was there welcoming me to Richmond and I've trained with Richmond on the Tuesday, Thursday. Guess who we played Saturday? Hawthorne. <laughs> so that got a bit emotional for a start. So I was up against Lethal. I wasn't playing with Lethal up against Lethal. So I was trying to barrel Lethal a few times. But that, that didn't happen. But, uh, yeah, so I got that over and done with early, which was, which was good. And uh, the play in uh, 79. So I missed the first four and um, won the uh, Richmond Best and Ferris that year. So I was, pre- I was pretty lucky. And, uh, you know, as I said, they got 12 months left in your knee and I went and played another eight years with Richmond. So mm. uh, so I was pretty lucky. And come on, it went on in uh, 1980, which I missed, uh, missed all, all the final series in 1980. And uh, TJ, all the selectors, put me in for the... Uh, grand final, so I'd never played in the finals because I had a knee cartilage sucked out of my knee, missed four games in the, all the finals and played in the premiership side. So I was very lucky to make that side. Why do you think they did that? On the limited preparation that you had, was it simply because of their belief in your ability? Yeah, I had a pretty good... The 1980, I had a reasonable year in 1980, but I, I'd, uh, I just... I had... They even gave me... Um, um, uh, two weeks off work, um, just constantly with a physio. Even then, Pete, and running and doing all the hard work, it was just like a, being a professional football, I suppose. And I didn't even work; I just did full time physio work all the time in the pool, running, and so forth. And uh, yeah, TJ was tremendous. He was like a like a kangaroo in a way, John Kennedy in a way. He was hard, but he was fair. But uh, just worked hard, and probably the belief that they gave me the opportunity at twenty eight. 28 years of age to uh, get me across from Hawthorne and uh, yeah I've, you couldn't you know couldn't be more appreciative of what to give me the chance to play because that is a huge gamble isn't it one of the oldest sayings in football is don't play injured players in mm. finals or players with an injury cloud over them but in particular in a grand final that's an enormous call it must have just been an indicator of their faith in you as a player and a, a contributor to that football club Oh, yeah, and I think Cloakey was a bit the same. He missed a couple of the finals too, and he mm. come in and what, he kicked six or six or seven or goals in the final series too, which is, which is great. And, of course, the little bloke wearing number 29 had a reasonable day that day. Well, he could have broken the record, Pete. He kicked uh, he kicked seven and he handballed one to me. So I could have fell over and still kicked it. So he could, <laughs> came, he could have kicked eight. <laughs> yeah, and I still see, and um, uh, as a supporter of the black and white, I still have nightmares about that day. <laughs> but I still see him turning Stan Magro inside out in that forward pocket at the punt road end of the ground. Yeah, he was... Uh, he was a he was a great little player, and we've got a couple of his uh, little granddaughters uh, playing Lucinda and uh, uh, Maddie uh, in our football side at Caulfield Grammar School at Wheelers Hill, and Charlie, one of his grandsons at uh, Year Seven level at uh, Wheelers Hill. So, uh, but a funny story with the remember when we used to change uh, exchange jumpers, Peter, yes. at the nineteen eighty. Anyway, I changed mine with Shorey, both tw- number twenty twos. Anyway. Um, I gave mine 22. I don't know who in the hell I gave it to. And I just thought, someone said, why'd you change it 22? And I said, I don't know. We just, that was the, the thing we did. Anyway, I know how many years later, we're on Fox, on on the couch with uh, Bobby Davis. Mm-hmm. And uh, Shorey was there Shorey was there that night. And uh, Dougie Hawkins. And uh, nearly at the end of the show, Shorey stood up and he said, look, Bazza. I've had this jumper in my wardrobe for I don't know how many years. I don't think I even washed it. You can have the thing back because I don't want it. 
And so, which was great of Shorey to give him back. And he said, I said to Shorey, I don't know what I've done with your 22 Collingwood jumper. He said, Bazza, I don't want it. I don't want it. This it brings back bad memories. Yeah. So Shorey gave me back my jumper, which is great of him. Fantastic. Have you got framed at home? No, I actually, I've, it's at home. I haven't framed it. I've still got it at home, though. Yes. Yeah, because yeah. they talk about the, the swapping of the jumpers, and St Kilda are always dirty on that because the only photo that exists for that entire football club of their captain holding up the Premiership Cup He's Darryl in a Bull- Collingwood jumper. Daryl Bullock. Yeah. Yeah, I know that one. Yeah. Yeah. So I think they stopped swapping jumpers after that. I think everybody <laughs> wanted to be in their own jumpers. That's right. That's right. Uh, that was nearly 40 years ago. Yeah, yeah. Will you get together in a couple of years' time and have a 40th reunion with uh, those who are still around? Oh, I thought we, we, we go out probably every six weeks at the moment, uh, Pete. We've got like Emma Dunn, Greg Strawn, Bruce Tempany, Trevor Poole. We get a fair few of us go every six weeks. And the boys, because I don't drink, they have a, a pot and pa- a pot and palm, so I have a pot and orange juice. Yeah. And we get together and talk uh, talk a fair bit of, uh, I don't think it's, the kicks get longer and of so course. forth. Yeah, but uh, we get together and still stick together. So uh, Roach is another one. Yeah. yeah. So, and have a, a few yarns and so forth. So it's, yeah, we all get together still. So all the great nicknames, Disco Roach. Yes. Plod Dunn. Yeah. He was on the tribunal for a while. Yeah, Plodder. Yeah, yeah. he's uh, on the Richmond board now, so... Uh, because he was a copper? Yeah, he was a policeman, yeah, yeah. and general, uh, and Flea. Flea's, yes. Flea's still working at, uh, at Tigerland, so... Uh, How good a player was Flea? Because I often say, having a little bit to do with the state teams as a young reporter oh, yeah, in those days, yeah. he was first picked, wasn't he, in the oh, state yeah. teams? Oh, he was sensational. The amount of state games he did, and uh, he used to have about 12 kicks and about 30 handballs all the time. He was in his handball. I remember when we first played a practice match when I was with Hawthorne, and uh, they played this little 15, 16 year old up for Richmond up in Mildura this day and uh, he was sensational yeah. and uh, he was a great player So You mentioned you don't drink, this is an exception for players in that era did you not drink at that time as well? Yeah, no, I never never have, uh, Pete. Never. Is there a reason for that, Ben? No, not really, no. As I played for a town up in Maui, and I said to the Maui boys, my two brothers like a drink, and Dad liked it, did like a drink, and uh, no, I never never have, and uh, never never liked it. And I think Dad, Dad used to play cards at home, and I used to be the barman, and I used to, Dad said, look, if any uh, glasses were half empty or whatever, you make sure you go around and fill them up, and I'll whether I liked, didn't like the smell of it after yeah. a while, but I used to fill them up and so forth, but no, I never took it on and uh, no, I never, ever, never have. So. Well, the one good thing would be that your memory of the celebrations from 1980 would probably be a fair bit better than some of the blokes who were celebrating with you. Well, that's what I said. I, I've always been... Uh, Always been the designated driver. They always, they, they always like that. Yes. And when I went went away in football trips, I always could tell them what had happened that night or what had happened. So I keep an eye on them. So. Well, you'd be the first bloke invited because you're always got the keys to the car. That's right. Yeah. Exactly right. We'll take a break, Baz. We'll come back and we'll talk more about your great career after those successes at Hawthorne and Richmond. Barry Rollings is my guest on this is your sporting life for Tobin Brothers Funerals, celebrating lives. Listening to This Is Your Sporting Life with Peter Donigan. And the 234 game veteran Barry Rollings is my guest on This Is Your Sporting Life for Tobin Brothers Funeral Celebrating Lives. The Premiership comes in 1980, Baz. They put you in the team, you celebrate, you're sober, everyone else is drunk. You went on to captain the club. That must have been a great thrill for you. 
Yeah, it was great, Peter. After only being there for uh, four or five years, it was a great achievement. And uh, yeah, to captain the boys, the the quality of boys what we had at the club, like Sir Murph Kane and so forth, and uh, uh, the general and the ghost, it was uh, it was great. And uh, you know, they, any any one of those could have been the leaders because because <clears throat> they're great ambassadors for the the club and. Uh, you you were a figurehead as a leader, but you still had those boys behind you and uh, giving you advice all the time. But yeah, it was it was just a great achievement. As the captain of the club these days, you were called upon to do all sorts of things, sponsors, functions, so much television, radio, everything that goes on. A lot more than your day, but there was still a lot of responsibilities for the captain. In lots of ways, you are the public face of the club. Yeah, that's right. Exactly right. You had to do a, a lot of other things like coterie, coterie groups we had then, and like uh, clinics around for the the schools. I was working at the football club then, and the spastic societies, children's hospitals, and different things for the the community. So uh, yeah, I, I I really enjoyed that, and uh, um, even though we had uh, social workers ringed us up to go to like uh, the uh, uh, Tirana, the Pentridge, and different things like that. Um, it's uh, um, trying to talk to people regarding um, when they if they go back on the streets and so forth. So yeah, it's a lot of things, but uh, best and fairest awards for junior clubs and so forth. But yeah, it was great. I really enjoyed it. That sat well with you. It was something you were comfortable with because a lot of captains are almost thrust into the role. And mm. Gary Ablett Jr. is one that comes to mind when he went to the Gold Coast. He's a very private person, probably mm. prefers to be out of the spotlight, but he was thrust into that role. Did it sit well with you? Are you always comfortable with it? Yeah, I liked it, liked it Pete. Yeah, I didn't mind it because... Uh, um I like talking to people and uh, I think a lot of people just like to hear what goes on in football clubs and how the Tigers were travelling and talk about different players and how they were going and what the new boys coming through the system and so forth. No, I enjoyed it. So you're captain in 83 and 84. That's correct. How much longer did the ride last at Richmond? How long were you there? 86 I retired, but I got a kick in the kidneys and I was passing blood and yeah. I thought, had 36 years of age, I think I had pretty good innings and I had two young kids and I uh, thought that'd been enough and uh, yeah, I thought and even I had a, BF, a couple of BFL clubs talking about playing after that and I said <laughs> no, not at 36 years of age uh, but it was uh, <clears throat> when Flea, after that day, Flea had organised the coterie members like they play games um they put a so much money in to play after after the 1980 boys they play games at the mcg flea used to say would you like to play have a game at half time and so forth and anyway i was 42 this day and i said i oh, will just go out and have a game and the boys the boys have put money in to play the supporters put in money and they get a jumper and shorts and play against our 1980 boys anyway this day this man and I collided anyway I, I was laying flat on me on the on my back and the old stomach was rumbling and and the boys I could hardly do up my shoelaces and Rochi said uh, now don't don't go home drive the car home they called me used to call me the super old fool because I was the oldest out of the whole lot of them. Mm. Anyway, I got to the, uh, the you know the service shell service station on Punt Road yes. there, and I said and I started to yeah. you know, take a few deep breaths. And I got home anyway. I went to the doctor the next day and I drove myself up and uh, I said to the come and have an X-ray. So I went out X-ray and they come back and I said how many ribs are broken? I drove myself up like an idiot. I mm. shouldn't have. And she said, "You've got four broken ribs and a punctured lung. You better go. You got. You got to go to emergency 
Cabrini straight away. So that's a, and Flea wrote an email back the following year. The game's on at such and such, and I wrote back. Flea said, "I'm not playing." He said. I won't say the word, but you're weak as, you know, what, you stupid old fool. <laughs> I think you've probably made the right decision, Baz. No more football, I think. No. no. Um, going back to that kidney injury you had, how severe was that? Because it can put you, it can put your life in jeopardy. Tom Lonigan found out about that. Uh, Sam Newman found out about that. That's right. Well, lucky it was only a slight incision on the, on the kidney and I had to keep drinking water and drinking water until it uh, sealed itself, Pete, and uh, it came all right, So, which I was very, very lucky. Yeah. Tell us about broken ribs, though, because they say that broken ribs, one of the worst things you can do when you've got broken ribs is sneeze. Oh, yeah, that was terrible. I, the trouble is I had four of them, Pete, so... Yeah. Uh, yeah, I didn't want to laugh. That's what Roachie said. He had to do my shoelaces up that day, and just to sneeze or try and cough, it was yeah, it was pretty pretty ordinary. Yeah. So never again. Never again, mate. No. Never again. <laughs> I don't blame you. <laughs> when you were playing at Richmond and that Premiership era, start of the nineteen eighties, did you think in your wildest nightmares that it would be almost four decades before the club would? get back on top again? No, I didn't think so. No, like, I thought 82. We should have won 82 yeah. after our great um, second semi against Carlton. You know what I mean? Uh, to beat them for, by so much out of BFL Park and uh, um, to let them... It rained early in that uh, grand final in 82 and they got 20 points up and that was uh, really the score after the, the siren went 20 points up. We should have won that one, but, uh, yeah, that one got away. But... Uh, yeah, no, the four decades and uh, the way the boys played <clears throat> last year and won that one, it was just sensational. You know, to, to win it by um, the Adelaide by so much and uh, the way they contributed. You know, we had Dusty and Koch and the boys mm. um, playing well, but all the boys just played their role because I spoke to about 500 supporters before the game with Tif- Tiffany Cherry and uh, then they said, would you come up and talk to the boys Oh, sorry, the supporters at Punt Road who didn't get a ticket. And I said, yeah, no worries. And I get in the lift with this lady and a man who took me up there. And uh, I get up there and here's Damien Hardwick and Justin Leppich, Andrew McWalter and uh, Tim Livingston and um, Ben Rutten. And here they are sitting around, just sitting quietly around. It was about 12 o'clock or so before they went over the MCG and I fell. We're playing the grand. I felt like saying, "We're playing the grand final, boys. Let's get going." Mm. And quite, you know, they're so quiet and just having a cup of tea and so forth. And I just said g'day and just walked up there to talk to the people at Punt Run. I felt they are so calm and collective. You know what I mean? So I thought. They are very switched on, and I walked down, and after speaking to the people up Punt Road, and I just walked in quietly over to the MCG and. It was unbelievable. Yeah, yeah I couldn't Qu- believe it. Quarter time, it didn't look like it. No, uh, Because no. Adelaide had a pretty good first quarter, but then after that, it was just all one-way traffic. Was it kind of unreal what was going on before your very eyes, seeing it had taken so long? Oh, yeah, it was. But I, I've, I, even in the first quarter, Pete, I, I uh, noticed where our boys, like Dusty and a few of the boys, when they were on the boundary line, they were top, kicking to the top of the square. I remember I said to someone... In the first quarter, Tex Walker had it. He was on the boundary line, doing the check side, tried to kick the goal instead of kicking the top of the square. And he even pointed like they do if they don't. I should have kicked it. I thought there was a bit something into that. You know what I mean? Mm. Yeah, I just saw it. But the way they just all played their roles is because they 
uh, rang me about six weeks prior to the season. They said, would you like to present second, third, fourth, fifth and best and fairest award? And I thought, oh, that'd be great. And not knowing they're going to win the premiership, well, mm. I get the casino that night of the best and fairest and uh, people were hanging from the ceiling and it was just a great night. Yeah. We'll take our final break and yeah. uh, I spoke about the state of the game. I'll get your view on the state of the game, where it is at the moment and also find out what you're doing to uh, earn a dollar these days when we come back on the other side of the break. Our final segment with Barry Rollings is next on This Is Your Sporting Life for Tobin Brothers Funerals Celebrating Lives. Listening to This Is Your Sporting Life with Peter Donigan. I hope you've enjoyed the chat with Barry Rollings as much as I have here in the studio to have the veteran of 234 games. Now, we've talked a lot about what you're doing at the moment. Uh, well, we haven't spoken about what you're doing for a living. We've spoken about uh, your football life. What are you doing for a crust these days? Well, I'm up pretty early of a morning, Pete, around about 4.30 and get to work about 6. I work for... Well, a... What are you, a jockey? <laughs> I work for a company called Cardinia Environmental Recycling, which is uh, recycled crushed concrete, which uh, up in Packenham, we just started, been going about 50 months uh, for a, another company, Offset Company of R&C Asphalt, Roger and Wade McGill and Chris, the wife, and Vicky. Um, we've been going for 15 months, and um, which is which is going great. And uh, yeah, it's, uh, uh, instead of going in the landfill, we recycle the, the concrete and put it back in the roads and uh, around pipes and so forth. And uh, yeah, it's going really well at the moment. And uh, a couple of nights uh, a week, I'm at Caulfield Grammar School, which is a great school, and and uh, been doing that for probably nearly 22, 22 years, head coach there. And uh, I'm out out at um, on a Saturday around about oh, 8 o'clock till about 5.30 of a Saturday, uh, uh, checking on the coaches and get involved with the, the boys of a, a Saturday to uh, make sure uh, they're doing well. And we, we treat them pretty professionally. And uh, as John will probably be able to tell you, I, I don't cop any... Uh, ordinary performances from the boys. And yeah, well, I'm the same uh, <laughs> with him on the other side of the glass. He gives me an ordinary performance. He gets a bollocking at the end of the show. But I don't think we need to worry about this because it's been really enjoyable. And, and just talking about landfill, it's a very big subject these days because yes. of everything that's going on with recycling and the difficulties that uh, councils are having because of the ban that's been placed in China. So it's something that it's it's probably at the forefront of a lot of people's thoughts right now. Oh, it is exactly right. And, uh, yeah, the amount of material we put through out there at the at the moment, and uh, a lot of people like it. We were, as I say, based at, in Packenham, and uh, we uh, the free, it's free to bring their concrete brick and asphalt into into us, and we recycle it and um, um, sell it out the gate. So uh, no, it's gone really well. It's been such a pleasure to catch up with you after uh, all of these years. It's been a long time since I've seen you, but you are looking well, and I still, when I close my eyes and have my mind's eye picture you playing I, I picture that beautiful left foot those silky skills 234 games and a couple of premierships along the way it's been a great career Barry Rollings thanks for coming in and sharing it with us pleasure Pete Barry Rollings has been my special guest on This Is Your Sporting Life for Tobin Brothers Funeral Celebrating Lives and we'll be back to celebrate the life of another great Australian sports person same time next week right here on 1116 SEN Melbourne's home of sport Want to witness the world's biggest football game? Head to iCanWin.com.au, predict Australia's score with a crystal ball, and it could be you and a friend at the FIFA World Cup Qatar 2022 semi finals, all thanks to McDonald's. Maccas, together and loving it. TNCs apply.